Father, thank you that we can come before you, that we can come into your presence. And you promise when two or three of us are gathered together like this that you are right here in the midst of us. So we pray that it would be your voice that we hear this morning, that our hearts would be touched, that we would see Jesus lifted up. Please, Father, come into our hearts, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. William enlisted in the the army in the Civil War. And as William was assigned to sentry duty, he had done it a number of times. And one day in particular, he had spent the entire night watching out for the army. And as he'd been watching out for the army, that next day, he found out that another friend was too exhausted to be able to do his sentry duty that coming night. And so he decided, you know what, I'll go ahead and I'll take his sentry duty for him. Well, that night, the night went on so slowly for William. I can only imagine as the hours drug on, it was dark, everything felt safe. And and William, as he was sitting there at his post, you know, you know how it goes when you're trying to stay awake in the middle of the night. I don't know if you've experienced it, but maybe he started off standing up, but before long, he's sitting down. Pretty soon, he's leaning on one elbow, and pretty soon, well, maybe I'll just rest my head for a second. And before he knew it... He was sound asleep. And that night, there was an officer coming around to each of the sentries. And as he came around, he came to William Scott and found him sleeping at his post. Now, this is extremely dangerous for an army because for one of the sentries to be sleeping, the enemy could sneak into camp, could sneak right past him, and many could die. An entire war could be lost with a sentry sleeping. And so, William Scott was called in before uh, the administration and the military, and they decided to pass sentence on him that nine days later, on September 9, 1861, William would face the firing squad and be put to death. You imagine, as he's there in a cell thinking about this moment that's coming, thinking about if only I hadn't have fallen asleep, if only I had stayed awake, if only I'd been focused on what mattered, if, if only, how many if onlys could he have had in his mind? If only I had stayed awake. It reminds me of another man who was crying, and I imagine that William was probably crying himself to sleep each and every night after that. But another man who walked out of Jerusalem, maybe ran out of Jerusalem, and we just know from the Bible that he was bitterly weeping. Tears were flowing down his face. Why couldn't I have stayed focused? Why, oh why, didn't I just do like I had been told? We pick it up in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 75, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine as he's running, as he's running outside the city, as he's weeping, he's crying, the tears are just blinding him. He can't even see where he's going. And he ends up, I imagine, in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he gets there, he thinks about how Jesus had said, just watch and pray. If only I had watched and prayed, maybe I would not have denied my Lord today. But as he's there bitterly weeping, 
wondering if there's any hope for him, feeling like he's at the very end, feeling just like William Scott, suddenly something had to have come into his mind. He remembered how Jesus had foretold this very moment that he would be here and that this would have happened. You remember, and you can open it in your Bibles in John chapter 13. You can help to look at it in your Bible or we'll have it up on the screen too. But in John chapter 13, Jesus had forewarned him in verse 38. Jesus answered him and said to Peter, will you lay down your life for my sake? You see, Jesus had just said, I'm going to go away and where I'm going, you can't come after me. And so Peter said, no, 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 I'll come. I would lay down my life for you. Surely I could come with you, Jesus. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter, you will fail tonight. Imagine being told that by Jesus. You're going to deny me tonight. You're going to walk away from me. You're trusting in yourself and this just isn't going to work out for you. And if Jesus had stopped there, I don't know what would have had to happen to Peter as he was weeping bitterly outside of Jerusalem. Maybe he would have totally given up. Maybe he would have followed in Judah's footsteps and gone out and hung himself. Maybe he would have thought that there was no hope for him. But thankfully, Jesus didn't stop there. Because the chapter, division is there, but Jesus just keeps on talking. In verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. And this morning, Jesus is saying the same thing to you and I. In that moment, when we have failed, when we have let God down, when we have denied Jesus, when we have not lived up to what we think he's calling us to, Jesus says to you, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart go there. Don't let your heart be troubled. And it would be one thing for for us just to, to, to stand here and say, okay, don't let your heart be troubled. When you make a big mistake like that, don't let be troubled. But Jesus goes on to explain, what is the foundation for that? What is the reasoning? How can I not let my heart be troubled in a moment like that? And he goes on to say, you believe in God, believe also in me. I want you to recognize something. The God of the universe has come and taken on human flesh, like we talked about last week. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You believe in that God, believe also in me. Then he goes on to tell him why he could believe in him and what he should believe about him that should give him a peace that passes understanding, even when he's failed, even when he's let God down, even when he hasn't lived up to the standard that he set. In my father's house are many mansions. The word there in Greek is really many rooms, many mansions, many dwelling places. In my father's house, there's plenty of room. There's room for everybody. We've made room so that everybody can be there, Jesus is basically saying. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, have you ever read this verse and thought, what does Jesus mean? Is Jesus up in heaven using his hammer and his saw, doing his carpenter stuff on the, the, the bricks of gold that are there preparing a place for you to live in heaven? Is that what Jesus is up to right now? Well, Jesus told us a parable in Matthew chapter 25 that tells us that's not exactly what he's up to because he said this is what's going to happen. The king is going to see the, the, the people on his right hand, the people on his left hand, and he's going to say to those on his right hand, 
Come, you blessed of my Father. Matthew 25, verse 34. Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom. When, When does it say it was prepared? Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's a kingdom that's already prepared, a place for you that's already ready. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you? What exactly is it that needs to be prepared? What is God doing for us? And how does that keep us from having troubled hearts this morning? I don't know why your heart might feel troubled this morning or why you might be tempted to feel like you're troubled this morning. Maybe it's by the mistakes of this past week. Maybe it's by the mistakes of this morning. Maybe it's based on other situations in your life that you don't see the answers to. You don't know the way forward. I don't know exactly what it might be for you this morning, but we live in a world where troubled hearts are prevalent. And my guess is that many of you have a troubled heart this morning, and yet Jesus is saying to you, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And there's plenty of room there. I'm, I'm planning on you being there with me. Now, John 14 goes on and says this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, notice the emphasis in this. He isn't saying... I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to streets of gold. And the Bible does describe some of these things. He's not talking about what the new Jerusalem is going to look like. He's not talking about how you're going to not be crying there, how you won't have pain there. What is the emphasis here that Jesus wants us to understand? He says, I am going to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to where? To myself. I want you to be with me. That's the heart of Jesus. He says, I want for you to be with me. I'm coming to receive you to myself. And you find this echoed in other places that talk about the second coming, like 1 Thessalonians 4. And it says, the the dead in Christ will rise from the grave, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Or in Revelation, when it talks about the new city, the Jerusalem coming down, it says... And God will be with them, and he will be among his people. The emphasis of eternity is not streets of gold, not the river of life, not even the tree of life. The emphasis is who we will be with. And that's Jesus. That's our God for all of eternity. That is what eternal life is all about. That is what Jesus has gone to prepare for you. He's not just going to prepare a physical location for you, but he's preparing a relationship for you to engage in and to delight in throughout eternity. And that is a fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all who have chosen them as their Savior. goes on to say, Jesus, when the disciples asked him, well, Okay, how do we get to this place? How, how, do we, how do we know how to get where you are, Jesus? And Jesus says simply this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the beginning of your experience on the way to, to, to getting to the Father. And I'm also the only one that can finish that experience. And every step along the way, there is no other way. And if you're trying in any other way to make it to that heavenly city, it's going to wind up empty. 
Because Jesus is the way. And he's also the truth. If there's anything that we believe from our Bibles, if there's anything that we're hanging on to that does not lead us to Jesus, we're left just like the Pharisees in John chapter 5 and verse 39. He said, you search the scriptures because in them you think that you have life, but these are they which testify of me. But you would not come to me in order that you might have life. You turned and you walked away from me. I came and I I revealed truth to you and you're walking away from me because you don't really recognize the entire point of all of Scripture. Today we want to focus in on the third part here. I am the way. I am the truth. And Jesus says simply, I am the life. There is no other life outside of the creator of the universe. He breathed us into existence and apart from him, We do not exist. I am the life. Well, William Scott was sitting in his cell wondering what it would be like. As he goes out and faces the firing squad, what would he feel the bullet? Would he hear the gunshot? How long would it take? Before he died. I imagine that the night of September 8, he probably didn't sleep that entire night. He probably couldn't bring himself to sleep, just longing that that's what he had been able to do that night. If only he had been able to stay awake. Finally, the hours rolled past and the different regiments were called out into the field. They were all placed there to, to, to see what was going to take place to William Scott who had fallen asleep and endangered the army. Well, there was some, as, as they pulled him out, there was the firing squad and he was standing there in front of the firing squad and they pulled out his sentence to be read. And it went like this. Private William Scott, having been found guilty by court-martial of sleeping on his post while a sentinel on picket guard has been sentenced to be shot and the sentence has been approved and ordered to be executed. Imagine the sinking feeling. Maybe there was some way out. Maybe there was some hope, but it's been approved, and it's been ordered to be executed. And the man kept reading. The commanding officers of the brigade, the regiment, and the company of the command, together with many other privates and officers of the regiment, have earnestly appealed to the major general commanding commanding, to spare the life of the offender. Now there's some good news. There's somebody pleading on his behalf. Hey, uh, this I'm liking how the sentencing is sounding. As he's standing there, he's thinking about, I wonder who it was. Who was the one that, that started this? Who was the one that thought I was worthy of life? Who was the one that, that cared that much about me that, that they would plead on my behalf and that they would ask that I could have life? I wonder who it was who started this. Imagine a smile might have started to come across his face. But they didn't stop reading there. The, the note went on and it continued to say this. And the President of the United States has expressed a wish that mercy may be extended to the criminal. And William Scott was pardoned fully and freely by Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States. Friends, God wants to give you life. God is like that 
good president in a way who is just wanting to pardon you. He's wanting to extend mercy to you. He's wanting to give you a new hope, a new life. Jesus came and he said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father and I am the life. If only you'll turn to me. You could have life. You can experience life yourself. Just like William J. G. Scott. Well, he ended up going on to serve his country with all of his heart. And sadly, he actually later died in the middle of a fight. But he continued to, to bravely serve the United States military, having been pardoned full and free. In John 17 and verse 24, Jesus, I believe, shows that he has that heart for you that Abraham Lincoln had somehow for William Scott. He's praying to his father and he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. I want for them to be with me. You gave them to me. Now notice, the Father is doing the giving. And if we look in Zechariah, we see that that in this this heavenly council that takes place, the Father and the Son are working together on this. When we look at John chapter 10, Jesus says, The Father loves me because I lay down my life. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him could have life. And this is the expression that's coming from Jesus as he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be where? With me. You know, William Scott didn't get invited to go and live with Abraham Lincoln after he was pardoned. There's such a bigger picture. So much better things happen when God pardons us. His desire for that pardoning is for you and I to be with him throughout eternity. He wants for us to be together. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, God, I want them to be with me. It's the heart of God. Later on in chapter 14, verse 19, after saying that he's the way, the truth, and the life, explaining to the disciples a little bit of maybe what this looks like, he says this, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Jesus is giving us this picture of how he is the life, that, that his existence, that his going through the cross, dying and being raised again, that in that is life. Goes on to say in verse 20, at that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. You're going to have life because I'm actually going to be in you. The Father's going to be in me. I'm going to be in you. We're going to have this fellowship. And notice that this is before the second coming. So if what God is longing for is for us to be together, how incredibly sweet that we can begin to experience heaven now. We can begin to experience the fellowship. Because if you look at what Jesus is describing, really he's saying that That heaven is about being together with God throughout eternity. And he's inviting us to that now. He's saying, I want to be in you. And I want for you to be in me. And I want us to be abiding. If you look at these chapters in John 14 to 17, he's talking to his disciples. In John 14, he's telling them, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. John 15, he's saying, if you abide in me and I in you, you're going to bear fruit. 
remain in me, stay with me, let's be together. John chapter 16, he's telling them about the comfort of the Holy Spirit who would come and be the presence of God in our hearts. You know, this week something happened that some of you might be familiar with. There was a doctor by the name of Leonard Bailey who passed away this week at the age of 76. Leonard Bailey was a doctor at Loma Linda University. And in the 1980s, he did something radical. 1984, he took a monkey heart, a baboon heart, and transplanted it into little baby Faye who didn't have hope of life because the left side of her heart was underdeveloped. And that baby went on to live for 21 days, longer than they would have expected that the baby would be able to live. Now, there was a lot of controversy surrounding this, I understand. I wasn't alive yet, but there was a lot of controversy surrounding this as people said, well, you can't combine an animal and a human together and a lot of other different ethical questions about this. Because suddenly there's a part of another being beating inside of baby Faye. Well, this opened a beautiful door that that Dr. Leonard Bailey continued to go through, and he he ended up doing many transplants. Uh, They were human transplants for babies' hearts and other things, and he ended up saving a lot of babies' lives. But you and I have been offered and have been given a far better transplant. The God of the universe came down and took on sinful human flesh, and he took that and he lived perfectly in that flesh and he went to the cross and he died and he was raised again so that you could have his life not so that you could live your life in the way that you want but so that he could live inside of you that's the truth of the gospel jesus wants to come into us to live in us to live out his life in us that's how he becomes the way of salvation for us when we allow him to have the driver's seat in our lives he's a gentleman He'll only take that seat if we allow him to do it, if we give him the invitation and we step out of the way. But he's longing to do it for each and every one of us in this place and every single person on this planet. Acts 17, we talked a little bit about it last week when Paul was talking to the Athenians and he's describing to them this unknown God that they have yet to experience. He says, actually, you have experienced him. He says this, Acts 17 and verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. I want everybody to take a deep breath. Can you breathe in? Stretch your arms. We've been sitting for another few minutes. Stretch your arms. You're moving. That's good. I'm seeing some life. Some of you are moving. Not everybody's moving, but most of you are moving. That's good. This morning... The fact that you are able to move is solely due to Jesus Christ. The fact that you are alive is solely due to Jesus Christ. If you wonder if the God of the universe cares about you, if he delights in you, if he wants a good life for you, the very fact that you're able to breathe, that your heart is beating, is due to Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Without him, we would not have life today. So we start with every moment of our life and every single human being on this planet. To them, Jesus is life, whether they recognize it or not. For the atheist and the agnostic, as well as the Christian who is following Jesus, Jesus is life. Every single one of us, every single breath that we take is due to Jesus, who says, I am the life. Every breath you take 
because of me. Every heartbeat, it's because of me. I created you. I love you. And I designed you to be with me for all of eternity. But it doesn't just stop there. As you you look at where Paul talks to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Who does that apply to? Who has been crucified with Christ? How many people's sins did Jesus take to the cross? Was there any person that he did not die for on the cross? Was there any person who can't find salvation full and free in Jesus? So all of us have been crucified with Christ. This is a finished reality. And it remains to us to simply accept this incredible gift. And when we accept it, we have this experience that Paul had. Where he says this, It is no longer I who live. Now this is the part where we have to let Jesus take the reins. We have to let him step into the driver's seat of our life. We have to allow him onto the throne. And he's not going to force his way. But Paul says, it's no longer I that live. But that God who died and who was buried and who was raised again, I'm letting him have the driver's seat. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we see that on the one hand, every single human being, they can look to Jesus as the one who is the life for them. But when we look here, we see that there's an experience that, that not every person is having. Would you agree? Not every person is letting Jesus be the life in this way in their lives. He's longing to be the life in such a way that he loves through us. That he lives out the law through us. That, that you may think about today different situations in your life. Maybe you're tempted by those taxes and trying to, to cheat on your taxes. Maybe you're, you're tempted by the situation at work where just to be honest just doesn't feel like it's going to work out. Maybe it's something to do with a friendship that you have that you're just not able to give anymore and you feel like people just keep taking from you. You don't have what it takes to give more. Whatever it might be in your life, Jesus is longing to be your life. He's longing to live in you in such a way that it's no longer you that live, but now it's Christ who is living in you. And when Jesus lives, he does it perfectly. He does it beautifully. And that's what his righteousness is all about. And we can live that life by faith in the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you. And if you question if he loves you, just take another breath. And remember, in him you live and move and have your being. Will you accept his invitation of life today? But then Paul goes on to say this, For you have died, and that's that, that being crucified with Christ experience where you let your life go to the side while Jesus takes over. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then look at this. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love that line there. It says, when Christ, who is our life, I am the life. Not only for your breath today. Not only as you allow yourself to be crucified with Christ so that you no longer live. But also... I'm coming back for you so that you can have an eternal life 
that's delivered from this sinful planet that no longer has pain, no longer has crying, no longer has the death of loved ones. I am the life that you are longing for. Christ, who is our life, is going to appear and he's going to take us with him to be forever with him. In a way, we can look at it like this. We can have heaven now in our hearts by having Jesus there. In his presence, his fullness of joy at his right hand, our pleasures forevermore. But we have this now experience of heaven but we also have this tension of the, the not yet, the, the expansion of this life, the beautification of it, how much more gl- grand and glorious when Jesus comes back and we see him face to face. It's the now and the not yet. We're waiting for that moment when we will forever be with the Lord. First John 5, a disciple of Jesus who sat at his feet on that very day when, when Jesus was talking about all these incredible things, who followed him into the Garden of Gethsemane. John, the beloved disciple, writing says this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Past tense. He's, he's given us. This is an accomplished fact in our lives. He has given us life, and this life is in his son. It's about a relationship with the Son. And then he goes on to say this powerful verse. Pastor Lee Venden highlighted this in his series. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the ground and root of our eternal life. The actions of our life, the things that we do, the sins that we do or do not commit, those all are born out of a relationship with Jesus. And so often we're focused on cutting off those things in our life, getting rid of those things, gritting our teeth, and trying harder to be a good person when we've got to change the root. We've got to say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. Would you come in and would you take the seat of the throne of my heart and would you live out that life in me? Jesus, I want for you to be my life. He promises. He is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. Acts of the Apostles, page 64, talking about the disciples. says, of the disciples, after the transfiguration of Christ, that's when they were on the mountain and Jesus was glorified, it is written that that at the close of that wonderful scene, they saw no man save Jesus only. Then it goes on to say this, Jesus only. In these words is contained the secret of the life and power that marked the history of the early church. Are you longing for a powerful experience with God? Jesus and Jesus only is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus alone can give you that experience. He who has the Son has life. I am the life, he says to us this morning. And what did that life look like for the disciples? Acts of the Apostles goes on to say, when the disciples first heard the words of Christ, they felt their need of him. That's, that was the first step. You know, some walked away from Jesus. Some didn't pay any attention. Some followed him for a little bit. But it was only those who genuinely felt their need that followed him. They sought him. They followed him. They found and they followed him. They were with him in the temple at the table, on the mountainside, in the field. They were as pupils with a teacher, daily receiving from him lessons of eternal truth. They, they were with him wherever he went. They just wanted to be 
with Jesus. And he who has the Son has life. Even if your name is Peter and you deny the Son of God and you go out bitterly weeping and you recognize that voice telling you, let not your heart be troubled. What I'm doing right now is to prepare a place for you so that you could always be together with me. I'm, pro- I'm working out something in the great controversy. I'm working on a grander scale than you can imagine. Peter, let not your heart be troubled. This morning, that's the voice of Jesus to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in Jesus. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I want to let you have the reins of my life. And you make that a daily experience. You will find the same life and power that the early church had in following Jesus. So how does this experience take place in our lives? John 17 and verse 3 is a crucial verse. It says, and this is eternal life. This is what that life looks like. That life that I'm longing to give you. The life that I'm longing for you to experience at a deeper level. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that knowledge is such a deep, personal, intimate knowledge. If you look in the the Septuagint of the Old Testament, which was written in the same language as the New Testament, and you look at that word know, which is gnosko, and you, you look at that word and you look it up in the Old Testament, the first time that it's used, I believe, is in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, where Adam knew his wife. There's a close and personal relationship that is developed that has come so close that Adam knew his wife and she bore him a son, Cain. God is longing for us to have a relationship that is based on who Jesus is and what he's already done for us and the love that he extends to us. And as that relationship grows in our hearts, as we come to know him, eternal life, can begin in our hearts now. We don't just have to wait for heaven that's coming, but we can experience it today in our hearts in fellowship with Jesus. The Review and Herald talking about John 17 verse 3 says this, These words embody everything, and we cannot therefore place too much importance on them. You get that? The author is saying, if you look at John 17 verse 3 that says... To know him is eternal life. You cannot place too much importance on knowing God. On knowing him for yourself. A deep personal experience with Jesus. Desire of Ages, page 388, says, Those who see Christ in his true character and receive him into the heart have everlasting life. It is through the Spirit that Christ dwells in us. And the Spirit of God received into the heart by faith is the beginning of the life eternal. And you see that where it's called, uh, Paul talking about the Holy Spirit says, he has revealed to us things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. That he's the guarantee of our salvation. That he is the beginning of that experience of fellowship with God throughout eternity as Jesus begins to live in our hearts today. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What does that knowledge look like? Jesus talking in John 10, 10, talking to his people says this, I know my own and my own know me. So he says, we have this relationship of knowledge. You know about me and I know about you. Well, well, what exactly does that look like? To what extent is that? Goes on to say, 
just as, in the, in the same exact way, this knowledge of you and me knowing each other, it's to be to the same extent as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Ah, that's incredible to think about. He's saying, I want for you to know me just like I know the Father. And if you look at what that was like in Jesus' own experience, Mark one thirty five says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus just couldn't wait in the morning to get there to be with his Father in prayer. Luke 5 and verse 16, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Can you imagine what it was like as Jesus just went out to be there with his Father, to commune with his Father? He wanted to know his Father in deeper and deeper ways. And just like he knew his father, he's inviting you and I to know God. And that takes doing just like Jesus did. Taking time, going off to a solitary place, going off by ourselves, waking up early in the morning, asking him to wake us up and taking that time with him so that we can come to know God for ourselves. It takes maybe blocking out time in our life in order to do that because Well, first I'm going to read this from Our High Calling, page 116. It says this, There are times when we should get away from the sounds of earthly toil and human voices, and in retired places listen to the voice of Jesus. Thus we may taste of his love and imbibe his spirit. Thus we shall learn to crucify self. If we want the experience of Paul that I am crucified with Christ, we need to get away by ourselves with Jesus on a daily basis and get to know him as our own Lord and Savior. But John 10.10, where Jesus later on goes to say that I want you to know me just like I know the Father, says this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Of all things, what do you think that the thief wants to do in your life? He wants to stop you from having the connection with the one who to have the Son is to have life. If Jesus is the life and the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy, what he wants more than anything else is to distract you from that time with Jesus. And he'll do it however he can. He might do it through getting you so busy with church that you don't have time with Jesus. Is that possible? It happened for the Pharisees. It happened for the scribes. Or he might get you so distracted that you don't come to church anymore because you think, I don't need that. I need just my personal time with Jesus. And you don't have that fellowship together with believers that continues to spur you on, like Paul talks about in Hebrews chapter 10, to follow Jesus. Or he might just get you so busy with your job or so busy with your family. And I can tell you that having kids, I'm realizing, man, my day gets eaten up faster and faster every single day. To have that time with Jesus takes more and more intentionality in my life. But to have the Son is to have life. Jesus says, I am the life. We have got to take that time with Jesus. Our high calling goes on to say this. This course of action may seem impossible to the human mind. You might say, I'm working two jobs. You have no idea how busy I am. You have no idea what my family takes from me. I can't possibly take that time with Jesus. I have not time, it goes on to say, you might say. But when you consider the matter as it really is, you lose no time. 
For when you secure the power and grace that come alone from God, you do not accomplish the work. It is Jesus who is the real worker. Without me, says Christ, you can do nothing. So the main thing is to get with Jesus. That is everything for us in our Christian experience. To have a personal communion with the God of the universe who gave himself for you. This is eternal life. That you may know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. You know, a few months ago, I was asked to go on a trip this week to Manchester, England to do uh, a week of prayer for uh, about five churches there and their their youth and young adults. So I'm going to be flying out on Wednesday morning really early in the morning to go, and I I solicit your prayers to pray that God will do something special there. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Revival only comes through the one who is the life. But as we've gotten closer and closer to this day, I have to tell you something this morning. I like to travel. I've always wanted to travel to other countries. I've always, I have enjoyed travel, but there is something about this trip that I am dreading. And it's not that I would have ever have liked to have leave, left home. But it gets harder and harder the more I come to know my little girls. I mean, just this past week, I took this video. You, you have to see Abby and Livy now. as they, they, We put them there on their blankets. And as they're laying there, just, just look at what Abby's doing. I'm such a proud dad, and I can't stop from this. Just look at this. I mean, she used to just lay there on her stomach, but now she's beginning to roll over. And as I begin to think about this, I'm beginning to think about this trip where I'm going to be out of town for 13 days. And I'm not going to get to see some things. I'm not going to get to, to be there. I'm not going to... I can tell you something that, that every single day between now and then, uh, or during that trip, I'm going to be bugging my wife on FaceTime. In fact, I even have access to our baby monitor and I'm going to be going, I'm going to be looking at my kids while they're sleeping because that's the middle of the day in England. I, I'm going to be calling. I'm going to be texting. I'm going to be asking for pictures. Can you, can you keep me in the loop? Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you, but he wants you to experience connection with him now. And you can't just go and sit down with Jesus and physically see him in front of you. But you can sit down with his word that he's given to you. And you can experience Jesus through the word. You can take time in prayer. You can go and share him with other people like he's ever living to do himself. But I'll tell you something. More than anything else, I cannot wait for that moment when I get off the plane and I rush home and I get back to my house and I can finally hold my baby girls in my arms again. Because there's nothing quite like being in the presence of the ones you love. And friends, there's nothing like being in the presence of Jesus. You can begin to experience that now as you invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. To know Him is eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. Jesus says to you this morning, I am the life. Will you take time to get to know the life? 
You might wonder about me as a dad if, if I just shut my phone off and paid no attention to the text messages that came or the FaceTime messages that came. Uh, if, if I didn't want to talk to my little girls while I'm gone, you might wonder if I really love them. God is longing for us to pick up his love letter and to take time to experience a personal relationship with him. As you go out today, there's a couple of books that many of you have already received, but some of you may not have, or maybe it'll just spark a little reminder to read them. One is Steps to Personal Revival, which talks about receiving the Holy Spirit and praying for the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's how we experience the presence of Christ. And the other one is As Light Lingers. It talks about how to have a personal relationship with Jesus through the Bible. If you haven't received that book, they're on the table out there. I invite you to go and pick one up, and it can give you some practical ideas. If you already have and you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. If you've already read it, I encourage you to read it again. But more than that, I encourage you, just block out time for Jesus and his word. Take time to sit at his feet, to commune with the God who loves you more than his own existence. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you want to know us, that you want for us to have a relationship with you, that you're wanting for that relationship to grow and to blossom, that day by day you're wanting for us to see more of your beauty to recognize you as a full and complete Savior who cares about the details of our life. Father, forgive us for so often walking away and turning in the other direction. But God, today, we want to push away that thief who tries to steal and kill and destroy. And we want to come to you that we may have life and life more abundantly. Father, I pray for each person now as they think about their coming week, the busyness ahead of them, that you would impress upon their minds how they could block out more time to fix their eyes on Jesus because you are the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.